Kevin Sheedy, it's Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix. How are you going? I'm very good. Yourself? I'm, I'm well. I'm short but coping. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for giving us some time. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I'm doing a book with um, right in the middle of it. Right. Some of the interviews have been great. I've spoken to Michael Pike from uh, Canada and Dasha Hurley and Dusty Martin, these guys. So. Wow. Tim Steins from anybody from anywhere can make it. So it's a great little book. It'll be out by Christmas. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, very good. One of the things I really liked in your first book, uh, Rat Cunning, I think you were talking about being it's, it's called Touch of Cunning. Ah, uh, sorry. Although I, although, I, although I played like a rat, it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> but you were talking in that book, I think you were at Silver's, you were watching everybody dance and you said it, it occurred to you that it was really curious that it was the one song that everybody was listening to but everybody danced slightly different to it. And it's a kind it's of – it's a pretty good analogy of, of life, I reckon. In the, no uh, doubt about life, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's so very, 24 hours every day and everybody lives it differently. Yeah, it's. Um, I'd never thought of it like that before, but uh, now every time I see somebody dancing, I just look at it and go, "Yeah, look, everybody's dancing differently because everybody." And you think, and, and you think of me, do you, darling? I do, <laughs> absolutely, I do. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, when, are we, when are we on this pod? Tell me when we're on. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll start. We'll, we'll roll on it now. And everybody wants to work now, 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 me. Welcome to another edition. This is uh, episode, what, 342 of uh, Life of Brian Mannix, that is. There's a bit of creative accounting goes on here when we count the episodes. Hello, Brian Mannix. Hello, Kevin Hillier, and hello to our listeners, and uh, good to be here. And as everyone knows now, Kevin Sheedy is our guest on the program today. Now, let's talk about uh, your relationship with Kevin Sheedy, and we'll put a couple of photos up on the uh, the Facebook page of you with Sheets. Uh, And you're a Mad Bombers fan. Yes. So is he is he a, a, like an esteemed a reverend figure with you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think he's truly a great Australian, and there's not many great Australians. And I think to be a great Australian, you have to excel in your field of choice, um, which he's no doubt done with football. He's been yep. you know the best coach Essendon's ever had. He was a good player, um, but he's becomes a great Australian for what he's done for the Indigenous Australians and yeah. um, the opportunities he's created for them and just the general goodwill that he um, has provided for the uh, Indigenous Australians. So I think that makes him a great Australian and um, he's a really good thinker as well. So um, oh, I think he's just terrific. What a great guy. And he'll be a bit of fun. We'll talk to him a little later on again in the uh, in this podcast. But I want to talk to you about this album that you've done with uh, with Tim and the boys from the Androids. So uh, oh, called yeah. Hit Me. Um, yep, yeah, Hit Me. Uh, it, it's uh, Brian. It's bloody brilliant. It's really good. It did. Uh, I mean, there's an energy and a passion and a kind of um, I guess um, fun element that I'm hearing in in you performing with these boys. That uh, it sounds like you just had the best time. Well, we did. Um, you know, it was, uh, I went down there, had a few beers, had a bit of a sing and, um, you know, it was uh, no pain, no stress. It was just fun and we, you know, it was interesting because the songs, we did a lot of them I'd never sung before but it was like, you know, it's the old, you know, School's Out's an old favourite of mine and yeah. uh, to do a bit of Alice Cooper, I thought, yeah, that's cool and do a bit of Sex Pistols, that's cool too. So, um, yeah, the, it was the last thing I thought I'd do was do an album predominantly full of cover versions but... Um, 
Well, there you go. You just never know what life's going to present to you and, um, you know, what adventures you're going to have. Uh, tell me about the song that you wrote for the album. It's the only it's the only song on the album that is an original. Everything else is a cover. What, what's this song about? When did you write it? I wrote it oh, quite a while ago and I had I never finished it. Um, we demoed it but um, and it was basically, you know, in the morning you're sort of dozing in your sleep and you're sort of like dreaming a little bit and then the alarm goes and goes, oh, damn, I've got to get up. And then you drift off back to sleep and then the alarm goes on again and wakes you up and, and it's quite harsh the way that alarm wakes you up sometimes. And so that's what this song was about. It's called Here Comes the Day Again and the chorus is quite harsh like an alarm and the verses are quite dreamy like you're nodding off to sleep, which is I thought was a pretty cool sort of idea for a song. All right. Well, why don't we play that one uh, from uh, from this album, the one that uh, the original that you wrote well, uh, the for, uh, for the Hit Me album with the Androids and uh, well done. Look, it's a terrific piece of... Uh, uh, of nostalgia and just uh, you're singing really well, mate. Well, thank you very much. And, um, yeah, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, so it probably wasn't important. <laughs> <laughs> well, shut up and sing, Mannix. <laughs> All right, here I go. Uh, that's uh, Brian's song off the album uh, Hit Me. It's uh, Brian Mannix and the Androids. 
Uh, the only good song stuff. on the album that's not a hit. Exactly. So well, not yet. Not yet. But we're, we're working <laughs> well, on that one. We'll hope. <laughs> hey, uh, our special guest, Kevin Sheedy, uh, for those people that don't know him, uh, the Paran plumber was his original vocation in life, but, of course, he was a Richmond footballer, played 250-odd games with Richmond, um, then, then of course, what got into coaching. Uh, his Essendon story and his, his journey at Essendon is an amazing one, and as a, an Essendon supporter, Brian, you would have just loved him in his day. Oh, absolutely, because one of the things I really loved about him is that if your team was getting beat... He'd do something. He wouldn't just sit there with the players in the same position and say, well, it's not working. He'd, he'd change it. So, like, you know, I think it was the 84 grand final. He put the back line in the forward line, the forward line in the back line and turned the game around and we won it. Um, so I liked those little tactical things that he used to do all the time. I think he was terrific at that. 634 games with the Bombers, uh, his coaching yeah, record. It's, it's unbelievable. From 1981 to 2007, the accolades, uh, every Hall of Fame you can uh, poke a stick at, he's in, and, and rightly so. Uh, so uh, let's cut to the chase, Brian. Let's talk to uh, the other great Kevin in the world at the moment, Kevin Sheedy. All right. Tell us what life in lockdown's like for Kevin Sheedy. Is it is it hellishly different to your normal life? Uh, look, well, it is because you can't fly into state to do a lot of public speaking. Uh, you can't get up to see a lot of the uh, people in the, in the mining organisations in West Australia, which I often do. I still work at Essen, so I'm working into different areas. You know, it's been exciting because I try and make everything every day of my life exciting. So um, whether it's in the garden or whether it's out writing books, so it's it's pretty good. No, it's- yeah. How how's the horses going, Kevin? Horses, uh, the two little baby horses. The Bellas is still a great sire. He's, he's up there in the top. 15 for winning racehorses this year. And he's, wow. So he's been sensational. Yeah, he's uh, like fortnight ago, he, he had two of his horses, one at 40 to one and, and 20 to one in Sydney and Melbourne. The same, you know, from one race to another. Everything you touch turns to gold, whether it's racehorse breeding and racehorse owning or football coaching or writing books or whatever you do. You've just got a, uh, you've just got a, a, a magic touch. What do, you, what do you put that down to? Oh, no, about a magic touch. I lost 240 games as coach of Essendon, and that wasn't too magical. <laughs> but um, I think in the end, uh, try and find out what you can do next that you might love doing and, and apply yourself with the dedication and can find out what people love to be involved in and if you can marry that up with the way you think. Kev, you're a life member of three clubs, uh, Essendon, Richmond and Greater Western Sydney, yeah? Yeah. And, yeah. and so with that in mind... Which team do you hate the most? Did you like beating the most of all of the clubs in the thing, like um, when you were at Essendon? Which club did you want to beat the most? Uh, I didn't mean it, but it probably was Hawthorne in the end because I went out to try and smash Cartland. And then Hawthorne have been green and resilient. Yeah. Even though they nearly merged, incredible after winning all those premierships with Alan James and uh, and Alan Joyce. So I'd say probably at the moment Hawthorne, but I did start out to make sure that Collingwood and Carlton weren't going to win too many, and that Essendon could sort of slip up up the ranks. And, and it's great to see the Tigers back. The Giants have been exciting, haven't they? Really? Yeah, yeah they have. So, they are very a very exciting team. Uh, and uh, I mean, the the grand final was a big disappointment for them last year, but gee whiz, they've they've come a long way. What um what do you think of the state of footy right now? Not a big rap on kicking a goal and sprinting off the ground. <laughs> the games yeah. are even shorter, and they're coming off. You know, like. So you see kids kick their first goal and they've got to spin off the ground. I don't think that's inspirational at all. I just don't know why the AFL don't sort that out. Um, and the coaches themselves, well, it's a little bit of a detriment to the game, I think. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think they're, I think their non-preferred skills are down, mm. non-preferred side of their body. But in general, they're not too bad. I mean, you saw some great performances on the you know last match. It was like a like a mountain range, wasn't it? Up and down and up and down. And it was pretty good. You've probably done more for Australian uh, Aboriginal uh, embracing Indigenous uh, Australians, um, probably yeah. more than anybody else in the country, I reckon. You know, you brought Michael Long down, and now every team's got lots of Indigenous players, with, and they're very excited. You got lots, to watch. Of, lots of Michael Longs everywhere, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, and they're so good to watch. I'm really loving um, McDonald, Tip, and Woody at the moment, and I'm yeah. very excited about Irving Mosquito. I just think that's a <laughs> terrific name, so I can't wait to see him play. Do you still involved with the um, up in Darwin and with the Aboriginal people? Look, I spoke to Michael just recently. There's, there's an opportunity out there. I think that we should get the Indigenous players and and, uh, and non-Indigenous up there to um, try and work with the Australian Defence Forces and the American soldiers there. I'd love to get the few thousand American soldiers up and down to learn and understand AFL before they go home. Kev, well, we've tried, uh, you know, we've played games overseas in China and America and Canada and uh, in Japan everywhere. Is it a game in, in, in New Zealand, is it a game that we should continue to try and take overseas or is it a game that uh, we should leave as intrinsically an Australian game that maybe we can teach other people about uh, but, but n- maybe not ever get them to play it? Cricket's pretty keen to get involved in building some grounds over there through a lot of um, uh, connections from India, because they love, there's a lot of Indian people in California, Silicon Valley. So I think eventually, in the next 10 years, if they do build a couple of grounds in California, we want to encourage them to make sure that they're AFL-sized grounds, whether it's, you know, Cadenia Park or whether it's the size of um, Giant Stadium in Sydney. But that's the area, I think, that's got a wonderful opportunity for AFL. What the AFL should do if they want to grow the game in other countries is they've got a pretty good uh, video game of AFL out at the moment. And I know my son and a lot of his mates, they got into soccer because they had really good video games of the soccer. Yeah. And I think if you got, you know, if they just chucked a whole lot of copies of the game over in America or wherever you wanted to play and the kids started playing the video game, that would get their curiosity and then they'd be more likely to want to play it. Or at least watch it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's a very good point. Um I mean, the greatest story that's come out of the, the west coast of, of America and Canada in the last decade has been a beautiful story. And that's from Mike Pike, who was born in Victoria in um, Canada. Walked in, he played six games in his first year, eight in his second, then played in the premiership, had 16 kicks and um, 29 hit-outs. Wasn't a bad effort for a Canadian. Yeah, No. That was in the winning premiership side. So it is a great connector between our countries, and, and if we could grow that, that will be fantastic. And, you know, there's 60,000 Australians um, work in California, so the, the crowd's there already. It's no problem about anybody turning up. All we've got to do is get the stadium built and, and slip over there and play regular games, and they'll, they'll get to love it more. What about compromising the actual structure of the game to accommodate people from other countries understanding it better? Because it's a pretty hard game to follow if you've not seen it before. You can adjust. It's the same as, you know, the Collingwood Ruckman. He'll adjust and adjust it pretty quick. It's only just time, that's all, and dedication. Yeah, and, and I guess we um, we got our head around what American football's about pretty quickly when we sort of got to see it and uh, experience it uh, over the years. 
Look, American football is uh, it's a game of chess with a lot of meetings, isn't it? <laughs> with, a piece, with, a, with, a, with a piece of leather throwing around, you know, they very rarely kick it and they try to smash each other and it's all about physicality and you don't see anybody like a Jessalenko stand on the head or Adlet or, you know, even Jeffrey Farmer. You know, the little uh, brigadal boy jumps up and stands on Blake's heads and yep. takes six marks, you know. And, like, we've got a game that we apply. The other ball games don't have that. And that's that's the essence that we should actually really try and keep promoting, you know, that once you leave the ground, it's dangerous up there. Yeah, not that I not that I left the ground that much in my own self. But uh, <laughs> yeah. if you want to edit out highlights of our game and send them with Mary, you can't put up all the high marks and people go, "What the hell is this game?" Yeah. There's not a lot of room for initiative in the American game, whereas in AFL, there's I think there's a lot of room for initiative by the individuals. Would that be fair to say? Oh yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think from a point of view that um, well, good on players hardly touch the ball. Mm, yeah, yeah, you can play for 10 years and never touch the ball. <laughs> don't, don't even worry about it. I mean, if you're not big, you're out of the game. I think that with, you know, 330 million people, I mean, it's 4,500 basketballers come out of colleges every year and only 55 get drafted. So what, what, what happens with the others? So you go overseas and play, but the rest don't have a career. That's it. Mm. See you later. Yeah. So they're the ones I'd, I'd be more interested in trying to get over to Australia to uh, grow our game. What about Tasmania, Kev? Do you see a spot for them in the future? Well, only if the state um, and the people that live in the state, if they want to become a member, they're all going to become members to make them set it up financially. Tasmania got a half a million people. And for a while, we had not had a lot of players come out of Tasmania. So I think in order of preference, um, I think they, they probably got it wrong first off when they put the Brisbane Bears in with Skate. Yeah. I think he went on the holiday over to some island somewhere in Europe. Mediterranean, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then um, then I think the Swans was a great move, obviously, and I think the Giants should have been before. I think the the AFL should have put the Giants in before they had a crack at um, Gold Coast. Anyway, it's yeah. all working out. But if, if you had Tasmania, they should just totally look at the Green Bay Packers, which is Wisconsin. Yep. So how do they get it right? When you know Green Bay is about the same population as Hobart, oh. you'd have to think that Wisconsin's about pretty similar. It's a very, you know, it's it's about cattle and sheep and blah. You know, you know, it's really a, a nursery for nature. And you go to the food belt, cheese. They call them the cheese head. That's yeah. it, you know, yeah. like so. So if they if they ever got a chance, they should go and study how that uh, state is set up and that team, right? Uh, the capital of the state's Madison. It's got a magnificent university. But if Tasmania really want a great chance, go and study how Green Bay Packers have been to five Super Bowls and won three in its existence in time and often built the hell out of, you know, New York, Chicago, you know, Los Angeles, San Fran. So they've got it. They have it right. Yep. And they're owned by the people, yeah, not I, by I, not by a big uh, multi-millionaire. Exactly, exactly. The people own the, the club, the yep. people of the state. Hey, Kev, the, the future of coaching in terms of, I mean, uh, you mentioned you lost 200 and something games at Essendon, but you also won three, nearly 400. So you, you, your strike rate was pretty good. A few premiership cups in there as well. Um, coaching's, yeah. being, coaching's being pared down a little in numbers and, uh, and all those sorts of things. Is that something that you uh, think is a good thing for the game or a bad thing for the game? I, I think it's good. I think it's been overcoached, you know, technically. 
Uh, it's made every every game sort of a structured game now. Uh, they put players behind the ball, which means it now becomes a game of soccer in front of our goals. Um, I mean, as it is, we're lucky. We've got tall posts and not like soccer goals. Yeah. We actually have a shot from 40 or 50 out and still get a goal. But I just think that um, we've added too much rugby tackling and too much soccer moving a ball around looking for a, a, a hole to pass the ball into. Uh, I'd like to get futuristic people to look at how, right now, how can we develop the greatest game in the world while we're going through this pandemic? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good time to reset. Exactly. You know, it's no different than when you look, we're having a look at test cricket, but what's that 50-50 over the cricket like? And what's this big bash like? You know, so cricket did it. And uh, I'm not quite sure whether we've had the guts or the courage to, to just move a little bit to see what's out there. Because we're in the world of entertainment. But we've just got to get it right for the future. The, a lot of people say too many players, too many teams. Do you, do you, do you think we've got the number of teams right, the number of players no, right? I think, I think we've got the players right. I think we've got the teams right. I've got no problem with that at all. Just don't know whether we've got the game on the ground correct. Yeah. Yeah, when we, we, yeah, like I've been, mean, I'm just doing a, a book right now to inspire kids, right? Basically, you know, anybody from anywhere can make it. And, um, I mean, Jezelenko's kicked 150 goals in his third year, 115 goals in his third year. And no one's ever done that from Canberra since. And as a kid like that, he played soccer, trains over to a game, and, and, and does what he did. How does Mike Pike come from Canada and, and do what he did, or racing for Oxford? And Mad Jack Door, you know, these are a tip and Woody. How does he just go off a little island up there? One of about, you know, 12 that come down, and he, he's fantastic. You know, like along the Rioli family. I mean, these are magnificent stories. To me, Jim Steins, you know, how do you leave Dublin, become a Brownlow medalist? Little Basher Hooley comes out of Werribee, a Muslim boy I recruited. Yeah. Hasn't there been exciting for Richmond in the last two premierships? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So these, these are things that. When you talk about it, you've just got to keep giving kids their dream opportunities and give them the pathway. And so I'm quite excited about, you know, getting this sorted out. I've been wanting to do it for years, and I'm just right on top of it right now with this COVID-19. Leave something positive out of an unfortunate year. You with me? Yep. 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 Absolutely. And that's right, right now when I'm talking to you guys, I'm in the middle of this book with uh, my publisher and, and it's getting more exciting as we keep talking to these people. Have you got a name for it yet? No, no, I don't. Well, I know what I'll see, but I'm not, I'm not prepared to tell you this yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be out by Christmas time, I imagine. Yeah, well, it's the best time. I mean, people get out there. I mean, look, look, there's two things that are happening in COVID-19. That is the gardeners are getting, the gardens are going to be super by spring <laughs> and people are reading more books. Yeah. yeah. So the Kevin Sheedy gardening book isn't coming out. This one is coming out instead of it. This is about 10, 11, 12, nine-year-old kids. How do you put your dreams into reality? Yeah. And here are 30 stories, whether it's um, a couple of the girls that have made AFL from different, you know, themes. Karen Phillips has been incredible going from basketball into AFL. All of these sorts of things uh, are what I'm doing in my Lockdown COVID 19, which means you can't think when you're locked up. All right. People said to me, How are you handling it? I said, Well, I was in the army for two years for national service. How'd you like that? 
That was a two-year lock-up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was too. So no regrets about, you know, leaving the plumbing behind that you might have, you know, eventually made the Plumbers Hall of Fame? Look, I've picked my greatest ever Plumbers team. Oh, it's did you? Classic, <laughs> it's a, oh, I'm serious. You know, I've, I've written to the Plumbers Association. They love it. <laughs> we've got five brown lights across the midfield. We've got, we've got Keith Gregg on one wing. Greg Williams is in the centre and Paul Kelly's on the other list. You know, the back line's Roger Dean, Tony Jill, Kevin Sheedy. Yeah, it's a good back line. Yeah, it's a yeah. good back line. Goes yeah, right. very good back line. You know, so we've got BT full four. We've got Busey in the pocket. And uh, we've got a, a lovely little Richardson uh, Rover in the other four pocket. I've got eight Ruckman. <laughs> and I've got a couple of doozies called... Michael Tuckwack Rover and Bobby Stilton Rover. How's the side? Yeah, not wow. bad. That's not bad. And, you like uh, it? And there'd be no problem in the showers afterwards. Ah, they could fix the toilet too. <laughs> uh, we'll ring up. A, we'll get an electrician to do that. I'd like you to get a phone. I've taken you everywhere today, haven't I? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I've got. I've got a silly one for you, Kev. Um, All right, okay. Give us your best shot. All right. Now, if me and Kev were going to come over to your place, not that we are, yeah. but we were. Going to bring um, some Sav Blanc with us. Now, my question is, what brand of Sav Blanc would we bring and how many bottles would we bring? Um, look, I would just say just any wines from three, three wines I'd take. Uh-huh. And, and um, three of us? Yep. Oh, three bottles. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, Kev, yeah. best of luck with the new book, mate. We look forward to seeing that at, uh, at Christmas time and, uh, and uh, take care and look after yourself in uh, in the lockdown while we still have that. But it's good to have the footy back. And just make your dreams come true. Cheers. The great Kevin Sheedy. What a thrill it uh, was to have him uh, as part of our Life of Brian Mannix, that is, uh, podcast with thanks, of course, to uh, Murcott's Driving Excellence, and Mark Lane, the Managing Director of Murcotts, is going to join us very, very shortly. But, Brian Mannix, mm. what are they trying to prove? Well, I don't know what they're trying to prove, <laughs> Kev. Um, I was, well, I was interested to read about Bubba Wallace, the um, the black uh, NASCAR driver. Yeah. And, and apparently what's happened was uh, they found a noose in uh, Bubba Wallace's um, garage Thing, you know, where they have their cars. Yeah. And this is just outrageous. So everybody's, all the other team players have just walked his car out and pushed it to the, uh, you know, pole position because this was outrageous what had happened that somebody would seek to put a noose in his thing. Anyway, people started thinking about, well, how did somebody get in there and put the noose there? Security they, in uh, in pit areas is, is of, of the is highest. Rather high. Yeah. Anyway, the FBI came out. And they did a bit of investigating and posting. And, and what they found mm. was that the noose was actually a piece of rope to pull the garage door down. <laughs> and and um, it had been there for over 12 months, right. long before Bubba Wallace was assigned this particular garage. So I don't know when the... People walked Bubba out there because of this outrageous uh, piece of racism and it turned out just to be a garage door handle. I've got to say, what are they trying to prove, Kev? For goodness sake. Uh, you've got to ask yourself if people are just looking for stuff to uh, to be outraged about, looking for stuff to find, to get involved in a story or to make a new story out of something that just isn't there. I think we're living in that world at the moment. 
I couldn't have put it any clearer myself, Kev. <laughs> it's, it's a most unusual uh, stratosphere that we live in. Hey, we're oh, going to talk to uh, the man who uh, this this podcast, uh, we're, we're thoroughly enjoying this, and it's uh, yes. the help of uh, Murcott's Driving Excellence that we're able to put this together for you every couple of weeks. So uh, we're going to talk to the man who's the managing director of Murcott's right now. All right. Mark Lane, uh, the Managing Director of Murcott's uh, Driving Excellence, joins us now. Brian, g'day, Mark. G'day, Kevin. How are you doing, Mark? Going well. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have Murcott's uh, involved, given that uh, many, many moons ago, Murcott's were involved in helping Brian not kill himself in a Celebrity Grand Prix race. You know, I still, when I'm playing the PlayStation and that, I still know where my racing lines are and uh, when to accelerate to come out of the corner and... Um, yeah. yeah, I learned a lot, a, a real lot uh, back then. It was it was really good and it uh, still holds me well today. Well, you know, the funny part about that actual race that you were in, Brian, that was, yeah. you know, for celebrities, there was, what, 20, 30 maybe celebrities and it was yeah. sponsored by Nissan and Nissan as a competition invited a couple of, like, invited the public to also have a, have a crack. And there was two winners that were actually selected to be in the celebrity Grand Prix. Okay, <laughs> and and one of the one of the general public actually won that race. So oh, there you <laughs> go. We celebrity had, uh, race won by a non-celebrity. That's that's a good yeah. concept. That works we really had, well for him. Hey, we Mark, a, tell us tell us what's happening uh, in the world of Murcotts at the moment. Uh, you know, as we sort of. We go in and out of uh, restrictions, and obviously, being a, a national company, you've sort of got uh, different different things in different states. Yeah, well, look, all of our defensive and advanced driving programs, they've all recommenced throughout Australia, but it's all in line with, you know, associated COVID-19 health and safety recommendations. So the size of groups, social distancing, you know, making hand sanitizers and masks, et cetera, are available for participants. We're managing it at the moment, and, you know, people are... Comfortable um, doing the programs and that, so you know, hopefully, this is some sort of road back to normality. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be uh, in- interesting days for us all. One three hundred triple five five seven six. The number, of course, on murcots.edu.au is the website. Now, the other reason that we want to talk to you is because you have a, a quite remarkable music connection as well, Mark. Tell us about that. The association with Joe Walsh, from most people in Australia, really associate Joe Walsh with the E. Yep. Mm. I'm an 11-year-old kid, and I hear Rocky Mountain Way on 3XY, and I'm totally blown away. The greatest things those little ears I've ever heard. So Joe Walsh became my music hero from that from that night on, and I'd ring the radio stations and request Joe Walsh songs and all of that sort of stuff. And some of the DJs took me under their wing because other than DJs and music nuts, Joe Walsh wasn't really known in Australia at the time. And they thought it was great that this young kid loved Joe Walsh. So people such as Peter Grace and the great Billy Pennell, you know, they had actually called me with Joe Walsh news because I was such a huge fan. Fast forward to 1984 when Paul Christie uh, convinced Joe Walsh to come out to Australia with the Party Boys. Now, during the 80s, Joe did a couple of stints with the Party Boys and he also brought out a band of his own to Australia called The Creatures from America. You know, and I'd be standing in front of Joe, right in front of Joe at every single one of these gigs. Then in 1989, and this is where the association comes in, Peter Grace calls me. Joe's going to be on a radio program called Rockset, hosted by Kevin... Kevin... Someone, yeah. Oh, what was his name? Kevin, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Kevin right. Rudd? <laughs> oh. Peter arranged for me to be the first caller to speak to Joe. 
And the next day they organised for me to meet you. And I met Joe and we just hit it off. So we kept contact, you know, over the years, mostly through email. My very first program on community radio, you know, run by volunteers, you actually had to pay to be on air. Um, was with Joe Walsh, which freaked out the people at the station. Um, and it went that well that we ended up doing two interviews, and Joe hates interviews. So because ours was different, he really loved it, and he ended up sending over a, like a guitar signed by the Eagles, you know, to raise some money for the station. Wow. Um, you know, next thing he calls me and he says, we've got a big Eagles show in Chicago, come over. Um, so he, he paid for everything. He flew me over. You know, I had all wow. access pass to the, the concert and spend time with Joe. And, you know, ever since then, whenever Joe comes out to Australia, I I catch up with him. You know, I catch up with him when I'm in the States, um, if I'm on holidays or over there for work and things like that. So, you know, as a result, you know, I've met Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, all four of them, and, and the Foo Fighters wow. and the Who and Fleetwood Mac and all of those, all just because I'm friends with Joe. Mark, that that's that's a truly amazing story. Um, again, we want to we want to thank you for uh, for being part of our program and uh, and for your support that you've given us here on uh, Life of Brian Mannix. That is, and uh, all the best, mate. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Good on, Good on you, Mark. Thanks, Kevin. It's amazing. One phone call to a radio station, you finished up rubbing shoulders with you know the top echelon of uh, of the world. Uh, Pyramid of rock music. It's unbelievable. Well, look, you know, like he didn't have to spend too much time with Stevie Nicks. He could have a terrible addiction <laughs> otherwise. So he didn't mention Stevie, but mind you, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, a fair, uh, fair quartet of, uh, of, of decadence and addiction. <laughs> dear, oh, oh, dear. Yeah, you wouldn't need Stevie as well. No, 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 you don't. You don't need that extra. Thanks to Mark Lane for being uh, being on the program. We'll catch up with Mark again in a, in a couple of weeks' time. That's uh, a good, good name for a drive. Instructor bloke, isn't it? Lane. Yes. Yes, stay in your lane. Uh, that's Murcott's right. Driving Excellence. Uh, that's murcott's.edu.au. 1300 555 uh, We talk about them a, a lot on this podcast, but, uh, you know, they've got a reputation as a, as a great company and deservedly so. Their I experience. Can vouch for them. Well, you can vouch for I them. I can vouch for them. The fact that you're yeah. you're still talking is is a recommendation in itself. Oh, um, well, yes, that's very true. Yes, they've got great experience in the in in the area that they of uh, of uh, driving, uh, and also obviously their expertise is uh, is second to none. So, thanks to Murcotts for being uh, part of uh, our podcast. Now, Brian, you know how? Hang on a second. You, yeah, their expertise is second to none. I know what you're trying to say there. But their expertise is second to no expertise. That's what you say, essentially said there, Kev. Okay. None, oh. No, their expertise is second to no expertise, <laughs> which means they've got even less than no expertise. I think we'd better reword this for next week. Okay, so their their expertise <laughs> is better than anybody else's you'll ever go anywhere near. That's what we need to do. That's <laughs> fantastic. Just just don't get clever, Kev. Just say it as it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair uh, enough. Fair uh, now, uh, you know how when you're a kid and uh, when we're kids, last you, week, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you finish you finish the day by having a story read to you. Yeah. Well, I reckon we should finish this podcast this week by having a story read to us. Well, normally you'd have to have a little bath before you can have the story read to you, but uh, we'll skip the Too bath. Too much information, Mannix. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're reading from my book again, I presume. Oh, well, I ha- I've written a few, but I don't think they're bedtime stories. 
Okay, well, this this week, let's go to Hawaii and see what's happening in Hawaii this week from my audio book. Hell, I didn't even like Al Green, Brian Mannix trip in USA. By now, you can well understand that we are quite concerned about where we eat. We spend an hour or so walking around, checking out the harbour and shit, but more importantly, trying to find somewhere to eat. Somewhere that doesn't cover everything with 36 types of synthetic cheese, deep fries the shit out of it, covers it in batter, rubs crap all over it, dips it in sugar, or drizzles shit all over it. That evening, we decide to give Atlantis Seafood and Steak Restaurant a chance. We're sitting on the balcony overlooking Calicoo Avenue. I think that's how you say it. The ambience is great and the evening weather is perfect. Sue fancies a lobster, a cold lobster salad. She figures they can't fuck that up. She is right. They can't fuck that up because they have no idea what she's talking about. They have never heard of a lobster salad. The waiter explains that at this restaurant, they cook it and then drizzle garlic butter all over it. All right, uh, a lovely story, Brian. Nice way to finish the program. Uh, that is another edition of uh, Life of Brian, Mannix, that is. Uh, uh, stay well in uh, in lockdown because we're sort of in and out of lockdown every five seconds with different versions of it. So uh, look after yourself, Mr Mannix. I shall. I had a nasty scare the other day, but I'm all good. So, Well, I can tell you we well, have a superb guest coming up on the next edition of this podcast. Oh. More will be revealed in the coming days uh, about who the next guest is on the podcast, but our thanks to Kevin Sheedy for being part of this one. Our thanks once again to uh, Mercot Striving Excellence for being behind the program. That's mercots.edu.au. And my thanks to Brian Mannix for surviving the uh, Mercot's uh, Driving Excellence program and still being with us for next week's podcast. And thanks to Kevin Hillier for keeping this tr- uh, truck on the road, I suppose. Yeah, bang, just smashed. <laughs> <laughs> just, just hit a pile on. Off we go. Just, <laughs> See you, oh, Brian. A bit early. See you, mate. Cheers. I'm so glad I'm tired. It's so good, mate.